Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Bob again. I've got Honesty Sells, How to Make More Money and Increase Business Profits. And it was written by Stephen Goffney and Colleen Francis. And Colleen, this is, uh, you've been on the show before, so it's great having you back. And uh, I really look forward to the conversation. Last time you were on, we were talking about your book, Nonstop Sales Boom. So go back and check that show out. Uh, thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be here. Honesty Sells. And, you know, in that realm of sales, it's such a rare technique. Do you feel that honesty is underrated in the sales process? It's so true, isn't it? So when Stephen and I wrote this book and we were trying to come up with a title, I typed in honesty and sales into um, Google. And for the first time ever, um, when I spelled things correctly, I came up with no hits. And I thought, are you kidding me? No one has ever written about this. And it's one of those things where, of course, we know we don't want to buy from salespeople who are liars and shysters, yet salespeople have created this horrible reputation for themselves um, in the past. And so uh, do I think it's underrated? I think that depends on who you talk to. It's definitely not underrated from the buyer's perspective. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are some salespeople who definitely underrate honesty. Um, and in fact, I was just reading in the um, in the paper on my flight home from Vancouver this weekend, an entire expose about a real estate agency that is under investigation for dishonest sales practices, and their customers are furious about what's going on, and people are leaving. The firm is leaving, you know, people are leaving the firm. So, um, and that's, today we wrote this book, you know, a few years ago, and this stuff is still happening today, drives me insane. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's kind of an interesting thing happening in the in the Vancouver market. There's a lot of, and I don't want to sound stereotypical, but there's a lot of Asians that have come over, and the way you do business in Asia is completely different than the way you do business in North America. And I don't think they're doing it out of a malicious sense. They're just doing it because that's what they're used to doing. And in the sales culture of Asia, it's it's a different way to sell. It's not that it's dishonest. It's just a different way. But now they're in North America. And that style doesn't really work. It's selling it at any cost. I mean, selling is inherently cultural, um, just the way business is. And so, you know, it's incumbent on all of us, if you want to communicate honestly with your prospects, to respect the culture um, of which your buyers exist. So, for example, when I was selling technology and we were selling over in Europe, um, the Germans and the French um, are much more professional than we are in North America. I'm just going to say, you know, they they look smart. They're always in suits. They really respect, um, you know, a professional look and demeanor um, and aren't so crazy about quote unquote salespeople. And we found that we built, built better relationships with them when we had very smart professional engineers with us uh, because, you know, we could have a better conversation because of the way their culture went. You know, when we went over to England, it was a slightly more casual, but certainly not California. When I went to sell in Hawaii, um, if I showed up in a suit, 
I was selling to the Air Force, those guys looked at me like, oh, who's the New Yorker? That's not the way we do business here. And I literally, uh, in order to open up communication, which is what Honesty Sells is all about, I went out and bought a dress and a pair of sandals to wear to the meeting because the uh, commander on the base said, you can't come back dressed in uh, a suit and nylons (laughs) because the guys just won't respect you. (laughs) They'll think that you're an outsider. And part of building this open, honest channel of communication is really inserting yourself as an insider into that culture. When people feel like you're an insider, then you're more likely to do ongoing repeat business. Um, You know, one of the things that you hit on there that um, Stephen and I talk about is dishonest sales techniques work, but they only work if you want to sell one thing to one person. (laughs) Because once someone says, my God, I was duped, or I was forced into this, or I have no choice, but man, this doesn't make me feel very good. They look for alternative options the next time. And 98% of the time where trust doesn't exist in the sales process, the buyer will go and seek alternative solutions when they have to rebuy or buy something else. Absolutely. Or if they run into a, a, a salesperson that kind of gets it and uh, they'll jump at the opportunity to work with that other person because they're just terrified of having to work with the other person. It, it, it's, you can't, you know, I know this one guy and his sales technique, he, he's just relentless. He'll just like pound you and pound it. After a while, it's like, okay, I'll do it just to shut the guy up. That's a horrible close. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and there are shades of, gray in honesty as there are with anything. Um, and, you know, there's not, there are instances of outright lying, um, which I think are are few and far between, fewer and farther between than they were in the past, just because there's way too many options for us to get proof online um, or proof through communities and networks. So it's harder for salespeople to just outright lie. Um, but it's little things like, um you and I are engaged in a buying conversation. You ask me for a proposal. I say, I'll have it to you Monday. Monday comes and goes and I haven't gotten around to it or I have a golf tournament on Friday or I know that my people are away and I can't get it to you, but I promise it anyways. And you don't receive that proposal when you said. So now you're thinking, well, Colleen, be trusted. If she can't get me a proposal on the day that she said she was going to, can I trust her on the big stuff? Um, and that is that little lack of honesty, if we want to call it that, where I agreed to do something I knew I couldn't do, or I chose not to, will actually um, ruin the buying relationship. And it creates in the buyer's stomach that feeling of, yeah, I don't really know what's going on and why I feel this way, but something just doesn't feel right. Yep. I call that the flaky factor. The flaky factor. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I do it in the reverse too. Like if I am, you know, courting a new client and I say, oh, great. I just, this sounds great. Da, da, da. I give them a ton of free information. I say, hey, kid, if you could just uh, send me a couple of pieces of information I need. To, if they can't get that back to me, then I'm starting to say, eh, what's this guy going to be like working with when I really need that information and I need it on deadline to perform? Because if they take that away from me, then I'll underperform and I'll be the person that's blamed, not them. Yeah. And, you know, I actually take a slightly different take on that. I say, say what you're going to do and do it exactly the way you said you were going to, because trust is built through consistent behavior over time. And while I don't have a problem with companies who under promise and over deliver, if they do it consistently, the problem is, is they don't do it consistently. And so if I say to you, hey, we'll have, well, I'll give you an example. Um, I ride a motorcycle 
And my new Harley was in, or I ordered it, and it was coming in, and I get a call from my dealership. And he said, your new bike is here. When do you want to pick it up? And I said, oh, my God, I want to pick it up today. And he said, well, it's going to take us a week to get it ready. Can you come in next week? Right? So Disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, totally disappointed. So what he did is he set that expectation that he was going, that he could overperform where he could. And now, and the bar is raised, right? When do you want to pick it up? I have an expectation of today. He then has to backdate. Now, if he had called and said, hey, calling good news, your bike will be ready next week. I would never have felt disheartened. So the problem is when I say to you, um, Bob, I can have this product to you by Friday. And you say, great. And then on Wednesday, I call and I say, hey, it's ready Wednesday. Um, now I'm over delivering and you come in. If I can't do that the next time, then you're disappointed because two days early is the new norm, right? 10% discount is the new norm. So it's always better for uh, companies to do exactly what they said they were going to and be consistent in that. Yep. Where a lot of people fail in that is that if they're going to give a discount, they give a reason for it and it has nothing to do with a repeatable thing. It's like, oh, by the way, we're doing this thing. We just found out, you know, that you're printing something. We just got an amazing deal on this paper. So I'm going to be able to give you uh, 3% off on the, on the gross uh, this one time. And then they feel, wow, I, this guy's amazing. He actually passed on a saving instead of keeping it and, and, and squirreling the money away. But nobody hears this one time, yes, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's tricky because, you know, if... If that's based on false information, you're just doing that because you've overcharged and then you discount, you're going to get caught in your lie. And that's that's a problem with, with if you're doing honest business, it's all gut related and it's much easier to be consistent. I think, too, we have to be careful because it's one thing for the customer in your example to come back and say, hey, can I get that same deal? Um, and you may or may not be able to do it. But a lot of customers will say, well, because I'm reordering and I'm a repeat customer, I should get a better deal. Like 10% off was my list price. And so now I want 10% off my previous 10% off. And so we see that far too often. And what happens? All of a sudden, your margin is eroded. <laughs> it's a race to zero, as one of my clients likes to say. Oh, exactly. Well, and I think that's the, you know, you have to be able to push back. You, you have to be confident enough in your bottom line, and this is where many, many businesses fail, and I, I, I'll chatting with them. I say, so what's your burn rate? And everybody goes, what do you mean? It's, well, it's something that's used in, in the software industry. It's basically how much does it cost for your company to survive every day or every week or every month? Do you have a number in your head? You don't have to tell me that number, but if you don't have a number in your head, then you don't know how much money you're making, and you really don't know how many of these things we have to do, uh, and you don't know how many sales you need. So that's the first thing that has to get fixed before we can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, it's really important for salespeople to know how to say no to a prospect and keep the deal alive, right? Which is what you're talking about there. So they've got to understand, and this is where we get into a lot of trouble with um, honesty is we think, well, I better just say yes, um, or I better just agree to get along with the prospect without realizing that agreeing or saying yes is actually not the truth. And it's going to cause you either um, a lost sale or it's going to cause you customer service problems in the long term when you can't meet the expectation that the client expects. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, just the other day I was sitting down and this guy came in, sat down with us and and uh, he said, yeah, so uh, somebody recommended you and, and I'm that's why I'm here and I'm going, great. 
fantastic news. Um, I've got this. Uh, I've got this website. I need you to redesign it. And I said, well, great. And who's? Uh, I said I took a look at it. it looks awesome. So you uh, you sell audio equipment? And he goes, no, no, no. We don't sell audio equipment. So, well, that's what your website says. So, what do you sell? So, well, we we sell fiber optic connectivity. Ah, I see. So you need you need to completely redesign your your sales message. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And he goes, no, I just need a new website. So, well, then I can't help you. And then that's when the that's when the conversation started for him because I I basically said no I I can't help you because you you're not asking for the right thing so I can't help you and we got to figure out what that right thing is and at the end of the day we were talking about retainers we were talking about a one year contract I mean it's it's a great way if you know what you're talking about and you're ethical and you're willing to give a lot of free information up front uh, very intensely under the assumption that they'll never remember it all. Um, that, for me, is the best way to sell because you're actually generally helping the person with a problem that they recognize or breaking down the problem so they understand it in a more fundamental way. So when they do hire you to do something, it's incredibly effective. I wanted to dive into this part because it's kind of fun. Um, you In your first section, it says, you know, the top 10 sales hall of shames. <laughs> yeah. So out of this, you know, everybody likes these type of things. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about it. Why 10? I mean, there's probably millions and that's, you, you had to stop somewhere, but out of, but out of that 10, is there one that really resonated with you? Well, um, <laughs> yes, there were. There <laughs> so, we did change some of the names um, to protect the innocent, um, but the, the you know there were two that really resonated with me. Um, one because it was me, even though it says Susan, the story about the steak, the guy sending the um, the meat in the mail. That one just absolutely killed me because I was on that other end of that phone when he called and said, "Oh, did you get our you know free meat in the mail?" I went, "What the heck?" Right? <laughs> totally a lie. <laughs> Um, but then also from um, the one where it's listed as Brent, which isn't um, me, <laughs> but it is a good friend of mine, um, where he literally was selling photocopiers and um, his boss said to him, well, just ship, we'll ship them. He sold to the Canadian Institute for the Blind, the CNIB. And when he went back to the office, his boss said, well, let's just ship them the used one. They'll never be able to see the difference. <laughs> And I mean, he quit based on that, which I mean, thankfully, and I know um, this guy really well. He runs a very successful business now, but that he just couldn't believe that anybody would even joke about that. With, you know, but he didn't think his manager was joking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I should tell um, you and all your listeners that these stories are 100% true. And while we did change the names, and I was personally involved in three of these, um, the meat one um, being one of my favorites. Um, they are all absolutely 100% true stories. And I, you know, sat and listened to them. And I know every single person who told me these stories uh, personally. I didn't solicit them on LinkedIn or Facebook or anywhere where people might have embellished. I actually um, heard these stories from either former employees of mine or good friends of mine or people that I'm still in contact with today. 
the internet is full of a lot of fabrication. Yes. You know, because sales has got such a bad reputation over the years, you know, all starting way back through the proliferation of TV as a communication tool and, and radio back in the day. And it was always the used car salesman who is the shyster and will say anything to sell a, a, a car and that car falls apart. And sure, there's probably dishonest used car salesmen, but then there are some incredibly high-end salespeople. Then because of that, they actually don't sell used cars. They sell previously owned or in some cases, previously loved cars. Well, it drives me crazy. Um, and I can't remember if I wrote about it in here, but I was buying a brand new car and it was a new model and we test drove one in Edmonton in a standard transmission, which is what I wanted. And when I moved, came back to Ottawa, I went into the dealership and they didn't have a standard. And I said that that's what I wanted. And he went and quote unquote talked to his manager and came back and sat there and said to me, the factory in Germany isn't making any standard transmissions in this car. And I had honestly, the week before I had test drove that car in Edmonton. So, I mean, I knew... I. I mean, I knew they were there. He was a flat out lying to me because he didn't want me to buy something that he didn't have in stock. I was so mad. Yeah, and he probably didn't even talk to his manager. No, I'm sure he just went back for a smoke. <laughs> but it's it's idiots like that that hurt his long-term prospects. You know, there, there's such a thing as the, the consumer today is way, way more powerful. They're way more informed. Nine times out of 10, they already know exactly what model they want. The only way that you can give advice or steer them into a different direction as a salesperson is number one, if you listen to them and then find the flaw in their logic or you out-research them and there's no way you're going to be able to do it. So I think one of the biggest things that a salesperson has to do to be uh, an honest salesperson is to stop selling and start listening. I love that. Stop selling, start listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it's so critical that you ask questions um, and you listen to the answers. You shut up, actually, <laughs> and take notes um, and ask more questions. I've never met a salesperson who has lost a sale by asking too many questions. Well, there is a finite amount of questions that you can ask before uh, it, you start bothering the person. But I think you have to put yourself in their shoes. You you have to be you you have to empathize with the people. If they're great salespeople, um, they're very friendly. They 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 make friends quite easily. And the way they do that is by empathizing with the person on the other side of the table or, or whoever they're sitting beside. And that's how they're able to talk with people in bank lineups and talk with people on the train. They're not these closed up people that don't want to talk. They just love and they're naturally curious about what everybody else is into, regardless of their uh, career choice. And, and, you know, classic is I'll be a networking event and I'll be chatting with somebody. So, oh, and, and what do you do? What's your specialty is the way I ask it. And they say, oh, I'm, I'm an accountant. That's boring. And I said, no, it's not. Are you kidding? Accounting? Oh, my God, I can't do it. I mean, how do you make those numbers add up? It blows my mind. And by having that attitude, they'll be like, oh, my God, somebody actually wants to hear about accounting. They're my best friend. Now, I'm not doing it in an unethical way or lying to them. I am genuinely fascinated by everybody. I, I just, I am. I'm very curious. And if they tell me something I don't know, I get all excited about it. And because of that, they have a good experience. Absolutely. 
Now, something you said, which, which is interesting, there's a finite number of questions that you can ask before you irritate people. It's not actually the number of questions, in my opinion, it's the way you ask the question. So there's definitely a fine line between interrogation um, <laughs> and investigation. And if you're asking the questions, um, but giving something back to people, instead of just bombarding them with question after question, you actually allow you you allow yourself more time um, or the privilege of asking more questions. So if I ask you a question, you give me an answer and I say, wow, that's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that with me. What did you mean by? Then you feel better about giving me another answer as opposed to if I just jump in with what did you mean by? So I have to give you something back and be thankful for the information because then people say, oh, Colleen's really engaged. She's thankful for this information. She's enjoying this conversation. I want more of that. And that's what creates an honest situation. Salespeople who just look like they're going through a checklist, question one, question two, question three, question four, they inhibit honesty because people start to get suspicious. What's she doing with this information? Where is it going? What's happening? Why does she sound like a border guard? <laughs> I think if you're being authentic with a question, I mean, really, if you're good at listening, you only need to ask one question. And then from their answer, you will find the next question that you should ask. Very true. Absolutely. That's a very smart point. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, for people that don't have a ton of time in their life uh, because they're running around, what do you think the best chapter for them to jump into? You know, I mean, it's great to jump jump to chapter one because it's, you know, the, the, the hall of shame. But really, for, for people that want to have an aha moment and say, oh, my gosh, that's so true. I want to read more. Where where should they go? Um, I would go to um, from chapter eight and chapter nine. I think is where I would go. So if you really want something high impact, um, you know, going to chapter eight, getting the truth from everyone, because, you know, while customers often think that salespeople are the liars, <laughs> it's often true that customers or buyers aren't honest with us. And I see some very good salespeople, um, you know, earnest, well-intentioned salespeople acting in ways in the sales cycle that prevent the customer from being honest with them. And then they go away and they make proposals based on assumptions or not accurate information. And so as a salesperson, not only like I'm going to presuppose that everyone listening to this is honest about everything and isn't lying. So we don't need to do that remedial work. Um, but you may not be getting accurate information from your customers and that can very much hinder your sales process. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, let's I, you know, to, to back it up, because I, I think the you mentioned like, like all our listeners aren't liars. Everybody's a liar. The intensity of a lie or the maliciousness of a lie is the factor because, you know, it, it's called a white lie. But no, it's a lie. And it, it's like if you you lie to, to help to save somebody from hurt, then okay, that's, that's okay. But if you lie in a malicious way to defraud or to um, hurt somebody on purpose, well, that's, that's the other end of the scale. And, and I think it's you've got to... It's The Ethics of Lying. Maybe that's a great new book. It's called The Ethics of Lying. Yeah, The Ethics of Lying. Well, the other big thing, and Stephen does a lot of work, my co-author in this area, um, sometimes the worst lies are lies of omission. It's not what is said. It's not what, it's what isn't said, right? 
So it's um, not knowing uh, because you didn't ask the question correctly that you're in a competition with three other vendors. It's um, not knowing um, when the customer wants to make a decision by. It's um, not knowing, um, you know, that the customer has a budget, right? And so those lies of omission can be very dangerous in the sales process. Um, or it's you as a salesperson not telling the customer that that's out of stock until they go to place the order. Oh, you know, I know that we said we have a four-week lead time, but you want purple. Well, purple isn't going to be in stock for 12 weeks, right? I mean, you know, not knowing that up front, um, those are very dangerous in the sales cycle. Yep. Well, and then it goes back to asking the questions, being present in the moment. It, you know, I don't want to harp on on sales guys that, that flog cars, but, um, you know, since it seems to be running reference, let's keep going. Um, you know, you're going in there and you're sitting down with your sales guy and he should ask, what color car are you interested in? And then you say, I went purple. I say, purple. Yeah, they, they, I'm sure they don't paint too many cars purple because it's not a very popular color. If you love purple, I can special order it, but you're talking six, maybe eight weeks. And I don't know uh, if it's going to affect the price. But if you could handle a deep blue that's almost purple, um, why don't we go out in a lot and take a look at it? See, maybe that, that'll work for you. It's it's coming up with relevant answers and relevant solutions. Like the the one thing that frustrates me the most with the sales cycle with, with bad salespeople is they'll use uh, problems as excuses. It's like, oh, that can't get done, so you can't do that. And so there's no option. And it's, no, there's always an option. Come on. You're just not really good at customer service. It's that you go, oh, we're really sorry you can't do that. How about this is a solution? How about this is a – now, you've got to be to a point where the person's just being an idiot on the other side of the table and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I just can't help you, and you got to let them go. Do you think the ability to let go of a sale is one of the things that uh, is a big flaw in the industry? Um, yes, I do. I think that salespeople need to be able to walk away from opportunities in a couple of instances. Uh, one, you need to walk away from an opportunity where you can't help them. They might be a really good buyer, but what they're looking for is something that you can't or won't do as a company. Um, but you also have to be able to walk away from business where you believe that the buyer isn't the right fit for you. Either they're behaving in a way that is um, uncomfortable for you or unethical for you <laughs> um, or just difficult. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, you know, it's not a free country. You don't have to sell to everybody. Um, you have the right to discriminate of whether that buyer is the right fit for your business. And of course, the buyer has the right to discriminate whether you are the right seller for their business. Yeah, it's nothing worse than desperate sales because all that does is perpetuate the the, the desperateness because you end up servicing somebody that's never going to utilize it. They're gonna, they've just got they're a taker or they're unethical or whatever. But you're just so desperate to have that one client, and then I'll I'll work on another one, and then suddenly you get to client three, and the client three that could be an awesome client for you gets undermanaged because the first guy you're trying to sell to is giving you a hard time for no reason. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's hard to say no. Well, it is hard to say no, but bad prospects make terrible customers. Um, one of my early uh, bosses used to say to me, um, if they're terrible to work with before they've given you money, just think how they'll be when they figure you owe them. 
Well, and, and there you go, right there, people that think they owe you. The sales process is not a favor-giving process. It's like, I have an answer, you have a problem, let's, you know, let's figure it out. You give me some money, I'll give you the solution to the problem. All done. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. Um, I'd be happy to, to do some favors for you on a completely different sales cycle, no problem. But don't come back to me and say, oh, thanks for selling that product, now you owe me. It's like, no, I don't. I actually... I'm a great salesperson. You don't understand that, so I'm going to teach you how to work with a great salesperson. Now you owe me. I want to talk about Chapter 12, the honest way to close more sales more often and more quickly. And I'm fascinated with the, the concept of closing because this is where I would say all salespeople have a problem. Um, they may overclose. They may uh, never ask for the close. And now you've put a twist on it how to... to basically use the whole premise of the book to close in an honest way. So how is how does that work? Well, you know, I think that we have to remember that um, open communication is, is the critical piece, right? So um, we have to figure out ways to build open communication through the entire sales cycle so that the natural progression is for them to want to say yes. You don't want anyone to feel like they're trapped um, <laughs> in a conversation, right? And so really it's about digging into not just the problem, um, you know, what problems are you having or what challenges are you having and can you tell me more about that and getting them to dive into that but really understanding the impact of that problem to their business um, and to them as a person. So, you know, if you say, well, my problem is um, I can't get my guys to um, uh, use the CRM effectively or can't uh, track information, then what does that mean to you in the business? Well, you have no transparency into what's closing, what's not closing. And what does that mean to you personally? Well, as the manager, um, it affects your commissions because you never know whether you're going to hit or or miss your target. So you want to dive into those. What happens if you don't find a problem? If you don't achieve those goals, what happens? And then we go back to what I was saying before about that fine line between interrogation and investigation. Um, as And we make sure that we follow very good listening skills, which aren't just about taking notes and making eye contact. It's about shutting up um, and letting the person finish, waiting a few seconds after they finish to make sure you don't interrupt, and then providing them some positive reinforcement or some feedback. Um, you know, I say supporting statements that say, you know, that's really interesting, or I'm glad you shared that with me, or thanks for being honest with me, or it's smart of you to mention that. And when they feel good about giving you that information, then they want to give you more information. Let's talk about chapter seven, be a life giver. What do you mean by that? Well, I believe there's two kinds of people in this world, life givers and life suckers. And those life suckers are the people that you spend a few minutes with and then you really don't want to spend more time with them. You either know very clearly, man, that person sucks the life out of me because all they do is complain or brag or whatever, whine, moan, or you just get that spidey sense, that gut feeling where you think, yeah, you know, I don't think I'll call them back. Um, so being a life giver means you create an environment where people want to hang out with you. Um, so how do we do that? Well, one, we accept responsibility. So in a sales relationship, um, life sucker salespeople are those who say it's somebody else's fault. It's shipping's fault. It's implementation's fault. It's billing's fault. It's our supplier's fault. And they never take responsibility. So, um, 
buyers hate that. And in fact, managers hate that. Colleagues hate that. <laughs> so we want to make sure that we take responsibility. Um, and then we want to be likable ourselves. So how do we be likable? We recognize people. We thank people. Um, you um, offer value. If you remember way back in our um, previous conversation, we were talking about networking events with um, our conversation in nonstop sales boom. And you and I both agreed that when you go to a networking event, give the first referral in order to get referrals. So if you're giving those referrals and offering to help your customer, then you're being a life giver. If all you're doing, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've worked with financial services advisors who have told me, or every time we meet, it's like, uh-oh, here comes the referral. Like they're just going to ask for a referral again. They're going to ask for another referral again because they've been told referrals are important, but they never offer to help me grow my business, they don't say, hey, could I refer you to someone who needs sales training? They just ask me for referral after referral after referral, and I feel exhausted by it. It's I know many, many financial advisors, obviously, because I'm out there networking, and you know, in every room, there's at least 10 of them. You get the guys that kind of get it, and then they'll do, hey, it was great chatting with you, blah, 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 let's have a follow-up meeting. I said, yeah, okay, fine. But the other side of the coin is offering help, but in an inauthentic way. You know, you sit down and the first thing you say, so Bob, how can I help you? And so, well, you don't know anything about me, so how can you even ask that question? Get to know me and then instead of saying, how can I help you? And say, oh, you know what? I think I know somebody that could really benefit from sitting down and chatting with you. So it's not being authentic, I think, is another big thing that, that is a bother to me. Buyers and sellers both have to learn how to trust their gut more often. I mean, I know so many salespeople who know instinctively that this is a bad opportunity for them, yet they don't trust that niggly feeling, you know, in their stomach or their spidey sense. But buyers have to do the same thing. Um, and buyers are probably better at it because they have, um, you know, they can buy from whoever they want and they're, they're not um, penalized necessarily financially for it the way a salesperson is. But I think it's really important when you feel like someone is being inauthentic, um, back away from the relationship because my experience is your gut is almost always right. Well, and you know, that, that gut feeling, it, it goes way back to when you were a caveman. So it's not something, that's why it's such a niggly thing. It's way back in the back of your head and it's a fight or flight reaction. It's, it's like, if I don't trust this move, I'm dead compared to, you know, if I don't trust this move, maybe this person isn't going to be great to work with. Still a fight or flight experience. Should I trust this person? And that, I think, is probably the hardest thing for a, a great salesperson or a master salesperson to um, capture and, and reutilize in an inauthentic way. Because there's no way that you can be honest and just be going via scripts. Because if you're going by scripts, then they're not your words. You've got to look at a script and basically say, oh, um, this isn't me and go back to the script writer and say, this is not me. Um, this is how I'd like to change it. And it goes all the way back to great communication. A great salesperson is a great communicator. So my advice to, to many people that are struggling with scripts is like, like read the script, read the script, read the script, and then practice it without having the script in front of you. And then by being yourself, you'll get your new script and then write it down. It has to be written down because if you don't write down, if you don't have a script, you don't have a beginning, middle, and end, you'll never get through the sales call. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it's no different when you read um, biographies or interviews from actors about really great famous movies. Oftentimes, the um, scenes that were the most memorable or the Academy Award winning moments are those scenes where the actor was reading lines and didn't feel it and stopped and said to the director, I think it should go this way. Um, I was reading a fascinating article in Vanity Fair this month on Meryl Streep, and they talk about her... Um, award-winning performance in Kramer versus Kramer and the scene in that movie where she is pleading for custody of her son in the courtroom getting chills talking about it and it was written and written and written and wasn't working and finally they sent her home and they said you know from a female perspective a mother with children write what you would say if this was you and that it just blew everybody away and she won an Academy Award because it was authentic, right? <laughs> and I say this to salespeople all the time. The script, you know, there are scripts that work and scripts that don't, but the one, um, the number one rule is it has to be your voice. If it's not your voice, then it comes off as salesy. Exactly. And there you got you hit on it, salesy. The, the, the most devastating thing that you can say to a salesperson or discussing a salesperson, he's so salesy. Salesy, it's not about being honest or or authentic or anything like that. It's just it's just a, a vibe that you have to not have when you're when you're doing your thing. It's, it's a great salesperson is having a discussion. Uh, and, and a not so great salesperson is having a sales session. Two totally different vibes. Cannot remember who said this, um, but somebody once said sales is um, the best profession in the world to be in, just don't ever get caught doing it. Yes. Exactly. I remember a great uh, vacuum salesperson, you know, going back to stereotypical sales. And God, I, I, I love the guy. It was just, I, this guy is great. He's a lot of fun. We joked around, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he obviously sold me a vacuum. But the way he did it was just such a slick job. I didn't feel like I was being sold, even though in my mind says, this guy is a vacuum salesperson in my room. <laughs> and and he's not doing the classic, oh, let me clean your room to show you how good this device is because that's one of the sales techniques. He just sat down with me and talked about life. So we're not always, we're not all that magical. Um, so people that aren't as magical as that, what can they do today to prepare themselves so when they do get the book and they open it up, they're already on that path? Well, I think, um, number one, take a genuine um, interest in people. Really um, work on your curiosity so that you want to ask those questions. Um, and and work on honing the questions that you can ask um, and so that you're drawing out this information um, from your prospects. Also, um, don't be afraid to to check, to, to gut check. Um, if you don't think that you're getting 100% accurate information from the client to dive into questions like, well, what do you mean by that? Or could you give me an example or help me understand? Because those are often the questions that will then drive even a deeper conversation and, and more honest um, conversation. So that's where I would really focus. Hmm. Okay, cool. And one last question. Uh, do you think social media is underrated or overrated as a sales tool? It depends on the social media you're talking about. So what I mean by that is social media needs to be used by sellers effectively on the media sites that are used by buyers. So 
Um, I see sellers overrating it, meaning they overuse it because they're in the wrong places. Uh, you know, a components parts manufacturer that I work with, like literally they make the little chips that go inside, you know, big dashboards that go inside CF-18s, right? I mean, like crazy stuff. Um, they're setting up a Facebook page. And I said to them, your clients are the deepest, darkest, smartest PhD, multiple PhD engineers, you know, working in in clean rooms, in top secret environments, you know, buried underground at NASA headquarters. Do you really think they're trolling Facebook for component parts? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> now, they might be looking at YouTube videos, but they're certainly not on Facebook. Um, so they spent, you know, $20,000 on this Facebook thing, and it, of course, produced no results. Um, on the other hand, you're a consumer products company and your clients are all over Facebook or you're a visual product. A client of mine makes really high-end grills um, and they do Facebook all the time because it's great for pictures and videos. So they, had, you know, they grill the world's largest hamburger and they, you know, put grills up on uh, rooftop patios and you know, all sorts of things that are really fun and cool. And it's a very diverse network of clients in the consumer space that they're selling to. So it works well. Yeah, it's like know your product, know your target, and then yeah. create relevant content uh, for them so that they see the value in it and do it short and do it sweet and do it consistently. Go where your buyers are. And and that adds <laughs> yet another question. Um, where are your buyers and how do you find them? You know, and that's yeah. a whole new discussion and a new, totally new book. Yes. Well, that's the that's the nonstop sales boom book, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to know your buyers. Um, and the easiest way to do that, just to not leave your listeners hanging, is to ask them where they hang out. Just go to them. Yeah. Where do they get value on social media? Where do they, you know, it's, it's a great question. It, it's, it's not too too pushy um i would say nine times out of ten they'll probably say something that you're not expecting which if you have an aha moment during a sales meeting that's a killer meeting even if you don't make a sale yeah absolutely hey we've been talking about honesty sales how to make more money and increase business profits and honestly people you should get this book thanks for coming on the show colleen it was wonderful having you on again Hey, my pleasure. Always great to be here and I encourage your listeners to stay in touch. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.